Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 100 of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast. My name is Greg Lindbergh, and I can honestly say I had no intention of recording 100 episodes of this podcast when I started it back in 2019, but it's just been so much fun and so fulfilling that I've just got to keep on trucking. So here on this celebratory 100th episode, I should mention that a former guest of mine who appeared on both episodes 62 and 63 reached out to me and offered to turn the tables on me as host and put me in the hot seat here on Ice Free Sports. And so while I've always wanted my guests to be the star of the show and have a platform to share their stories, I just could not turn down this gentleman's offer. Once you hear his voice, you might recall that he is a visually impaired skier, endurance athlete, biathlete, author, and overall wonderful human being. So let's go ahead now and dive into episode 100. Alright, so like I mentioned in the intro, we are celebrating the 100th episode of Eyes Free Sports. And first off, just want to thank all of my guests, all of my listeners, Uh, who've tuned in to the last 99 and now the 100th episode of this podcast. Just super grateful and appreciative of of everyone's support and look forward to another 100. And uh, so on this episode, we have a very special guest with us uh, who's actually going to be turning the microphone tables on me as host. Uh, His name is Michael Stone and he was a great guest on our podcast about a year and a half ago. And uh, so Michael is going to actually interview me so that you, the listener, can learn more about Greg Lindbergh, the host of the Eyes Free Sports podcast. Michael, it's all yours. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it's, it's funny because I, I, what I wanted to do, listeners, was uh, to introduce Greg. Uh, and, and, I, and, I, and kind of this is what it is. Um, I actually approached Greg with this idea, gosh, a couple months ago. And uh, it stemmed uh, from uh, it, a place of gratitude. For me personally, one of the greatest aspects of, of losing my eyesight uh, has been the community that I get to be a part of that, 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 that's been cultivated. I don't want to say that I've cultivated because it's, it's just, and, and it's an extraordinary privilege. And there are, there are enough people that are doing pretty extraordinary things. And Mr. Lindbergh here happens to be one of them. And it occurred to me that as I uh, listen to his podcast, listen to your podcast, I'll be very specific, Greg, um, that I I know a great many of the people that you've interviewed. uh, And I love these people. Um, And uh, without, I mean, I could go, go, uh, name by name uh, on many of them, but uh, I know more than 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 not, <laughs> and uh, and some of these people very personally, and and it's such a so it's such a privilege. But it it occurred to me, and and I felt a little sad that I'm not entirely certain that we really know who Greg Winberg is. And um, I had the privilege today of, of uh, speaking with one of our. Uh, U.S. Para Nordic skiing coaches Mark Birdseye, who has your podcast favorited. Mark is an oh, wow. able-bodied coach, 
uh, and um, he he does wonderful things. As a matter of fact, we're doing a uh, Nordic ski guide clinic uh, up in uh, the Winter Park area in Col- here in Colorado this weekend. And I happened to mention that I had this privilege today of speaking with you. And he said, you know, Michael, I have that that podcast favorited. And uh, and so here's a completely able-bodied, fully sighted person. He's a he's a guide, um, doing wonderful things. But um, your followers are, are 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 probably more extensive than you you may know. And uh, even he said, you know, I, I guess I never really thought of it. I don't really know who he is. So today, <laughs> uh, listeners, we get to uh, we get to learn about Greg. And it was uh, it was Greg's idea to to make this on his his hundredth uh episode and uh and celebrate this and what better way to celebrate than to uh get to know our host and and somebody who has contributed uh immensely to our wonderful community our growing community and um so um you know let's 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 get this rolling before we actually get into some of the details in your relationship to sports and life and everything else uh, Greg, why why did you start this podcast? Yeah, that's a great question. And again, I just wanted to say it's an honor to have you kind of you know do the the hosting duties on this episode. And thank you so much. Just wanted to to put that out there before we get rolling here as well. Thanks. Um, yeah. So I I've always loved uh, writing. So I will say you know there is a connection between writing and interviewing and kind of how I ended up doing this podcast. Uh, so thinking back to elementary school, I loved writing and kind of got interested in interviewing people and writing down their stories. And um, I had the chance to interview my grandma when she was in her mid-90s, capture her story. Um, I actually interviewed two ladies, both who were 100, when I interviewed them in our uh, local Pinellas Council of the Blind, our local ACB chapter. And I uh, have just always loved capturing stories. I, I always say... My philosophy is that there's so many great stories out there, most of which go untold, uh, just kind of relatively speaking. And so uh, in college, I was a journalism major and really kind of, you know, dove headfirst into journalism and media, you know, writing, interviewing, storytelling, that kind of thing. And uh, so I've worked in marketing communications now for a good 10, 10, 12 years. And, uh, just again always had that passion for for interviewing for connecting with others uh, but not just connecting really diving into their stories what makes them tick you know what what do they like to do what don't they like to do uh just really hearing passion in people's voices is just so so thrilling to me and gets me excited and kind of interested in what others are interested in and uh so that definitely ties into you know my my goals with this podcast and kind of the the inspiration behind it um and so uh, in terms of adaptive sports so i have mentioned on this podcast here and there that beat baseball is my my primary sport uh, which i started playing back in 2012 when the tampa lighthouse for the blind uh, had an annual game so that was really my first introduction to sports for the blind adaptive sports etc and uh, so, you know, years after that, I thought, hey, why don't I combine my love of adaptive sports and beatball, maybe specifically at the time, with interviewing, with podcasting. Um, I've done a lot of writing in my life, and I thought, you know, 
why don't I kind of do something a little bit different uh, instead of having to write down or transcribe what my guests or interview subjects are saying, why don't I just make a podcast out of it and record those conversations and, you know, again, really capture, like I was saying before, that passion that comes through in the voices of, of my guests. Uh, so yeah, I guess that's kind of a long-winded uh, answer to your question there, Michael. Oh, anything but long-winded. Um, uh, and <laughs> so you, let's take it back a little bit, though. You said you, you were a journalism major in school, uh, and uh, it, you where, where did you go to school? Yeah, College. so I, I initially went to St. Petersburg College uh, here in the Tampa area for my AA, and then transferred to the University of South Florida, St. Petersburg campus, uh, where I got my bachelor's in mass communication and then master's in journalism there. Oh, that's fantastic. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't realize how far you had actually taken that. Um, uh, you're just uh, going to humble me that much more. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, yeah, the, the fact that you had such high-level uh, high education uh, all the way through a graduate degree in something very specific. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get to the sports uh, stuff uh, second. So you did this uh, without uh, your eyesight. Conceptually speaking, for, for many of us, myself included, uh, uh, you know, uh, listeners, before we even started this, uh, we, we, I, I had a little bit of an audio challenge. I got myself all excited. I have all this great equipment uh, that I was excited to be using today uh, for this uh, very uh, momentous uh, opportunity. And uh, I uh, sure enough couldn't get it work. So now let's go back to, <laughs> to, to somebody who has a, a higher education in this, in this area. Um, you know, I, I, sh I struggle, uh, you know, having lost my sight to a retinal degenerative disease um, and, and relearning everything. Uh, originally, when I went through school, I was mainstreamed and uh, I'd had no uh, accessibility uh, assistance whatsoever. And, uh, and it was it was it was pretty miserable. Were you uh, so when you were in school? Uh, were you learning adaptive technology uh, to be able to achieve this degree, these degrees that you have? Yeah, somewhat. Um, I will say for a long time. Uh, so I do have LCA, which is a retinal, you know, degenerative retinal condition. Labor's congenital amaurosis is what it stands for. And I was originally diagnosed with RP, retinitis pigmentosa, and thought I had that, you know, for a long time until I had the genetic testing and whatnot to kind of really determine specifically what, what my condition is. Um, but thinking back, so I, you know, I did have a fair amount of usable vision in my schooling years, which I was very grateful for, you know, especially looking back. Um, so I would use kind of the thick, you know, stereotypical Coke bottle glasses and could read small, pretty small, you know, quote unquote, normal print uh, for a long time, elementary, middle, maybe even into high school a little bit. And uh, definitely use large print, you know, textbooks and I do remember uh, my mom and I going to Kinko's back in the day and, and copying, uh, you know, actual whole textbooks, which may not have been a legal thing to do or ethical or whatever you want to say. But, you know, we did what we could to get access so that I could have access to that material and and be a successful student. 
And uh, so I think it was around high school when I first used, I believe it was called Big Shot Magnifier, which uh, is through, I believe it is Freedom Scientific. It was one of their products back in the day, you know, a Zoom, basically a Zoom text type kind of product. And so I did have, you know, a little training on that. And um, certainly as far as O&M, orientation mobility, uh, middle school years is, is kind of when I started using a white cane. Um, but beyond those, you know, kind of basic, if you want to say, opportunities for training, I didn't have a whole lot of other training or, or assistive tech support. You had to figure it out You're, yourself. You found out, and, and I don't, by the way, I don't see anything wrong with photocopying. I mean, I think we all had to do, we have to do what <laughs> we have to do. I think, I think the people who get the most credit are the people who are the most creative, and uh, and figure out their way of doing this because uh, it wasn't exactly you know uh, a how-to book to to follow and even in today uh, with all that we know there's still people and uh, I have a feeling a great many of your your listeners um, are 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 still at that uh, at that phase where they're they're trying to figure it out themselves and there's you know many aspects under that heading. Um, what, what year did you, how old were you when you got your accurate diagnosis of LCA? Uh, that was around 2011. So I would have been about 25, 26. Okay. And that's, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's old for LCA diagnosis. I think most people get it when they're still single digits. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So again, like I said, was very grateful for the vision I had and certainly the visual memories that I still maintain to this day. Yeah, that's, that's, that's incredible. I, I too was misdiagnosed, uh, you know, with the, the, I think it was like three times a charm before they got my accurate, uh, <laughs> diagnosis of retinitis pigmentosa. So, uh, but, uh, I, I'm always fascinated with how people just figure it out. And so it's, uh, you know, bringing it back to you in journalism and the, again, this podcast, uh, your interest in journalism, uh, and then, and then figuring out how, how to make that work. Um, you, you said you interviewed your grandmother and, uh, got to hear her, her story amongst others. Uh, and then over the, over the years, you figured out, uh, by, uh, interviewing other people, uh, specifically, uh, in the blindness community, were you working outside of the blindness community as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I've had jobs, I've had three full-time jobs in my career. Um, so my first job was actually with a national accounting firm, believe it or not, uh, doing, you know, blog writing, content writing, social media management, uh, some customer service, um, but also interviewing clients. So that's, that was a really cool opportunity in that job. So I got to interview, uh, probably hundreds of small business owners who were our clients, you know, of our accounting firm. And, uh, so they had businesses, anything from, you know, selling cake pops to one guy who was a referee in foot for football games. And so just a, a huge, you know, range and variety of people from all over the world, really. And, you know, learn so much through that experience, getting, making those connections with such a variety of individuals. That's amazing. Did they know you were blind? No, most did not. Yeah. I mean, maybe it came up here and there, but no, they really didn't. <laughs> Uh, it's, uh, I, I find that, that amazing. So who, who was your first 
uh, since we're we're doing a hundred episodes, who who was your first episode under Eyes Free Sports? Yeah, for Eyes Free Sports, it was actually Dave Wanzik, um, who is a professor at uh, Ohio University, and uh, so he wrote a book on beat baseball, and so I met him at one of the beat baseball World Series tournaments, uh, the World Series back in twenty nineteen. And uh, so he actually gave a little talk, you know, one evening after the games. And uh, for some reason, I just kind of was really taken by his, you know, his message and just the stories that he relayed in his book and certainly in his little talk that he gave as well about interviewing, you know, beatball players and writing about beat baseball. And uh, so I approached him and said, hey, you know, I'm thinking about starting this podcast would you be interested in potentially coming on as a guest? And he was like, yeah, you know, that sounds like a great concept, not only for a podcast, but would be honored to. And uh, so he himself is actually fully cited, but just the connections that he had made, you know, in beat baseball through writing a book and spending so much time with a lot of these athletes and really getting to know them, thought would be a really kind of interesting, you know, first, first episode. And and so you were introduced to to be baseball through the lighthouse. You said, yeah. So it was the Tampa, Florida Lighthouse for the Blind uh, that used to have an annual game, and I got to play in that uh, back in 2012. Um, so I, I hear baseball, and I immediately have to uh, work off the panic attack of me trying to follow a ball at you know, seven, eight years old and all, you know, how frequently that ball ended up hitting me in the face. Um, and, uh, that was uh, a pivotal moment when I decided that I would have nothing to do with sports lo and behold later in life to find out that I actually am okay at it. Describe what this sport is. Yeah. So for those who aren't as familiar, um, so beat baseball is an adapted form of baseball for the blind and visually impaired. Um, so, you know, essentially everyone is blindfolded as far as the batter and the fielders go. And uh, so the pitcher and catcher are, are fully sighted, although there, there have actually been some visually impaired uh, pitchers, you know, that have enough vision to be able to successfully do that, which is just amazing. Um, so the, the pitcher throws the ball, you know, to the batter. And then so the, the ball is like an oversized softball, essentially, that makes a beep beep, beep, constant beep sound. And then the two bases, so in beep baseball, you just have first and third base. Uh, there's no second. And so you have to run to either first or third, which you don't know which one is going to be buzzing after you do hit the ball, assuming the ball is fair and actually goes 40 feet. Um, so that's kind of another you know detail. Um, so if you hit the ball and you run to one of the bases and successfully touch that base before one of the fielders picks up the ball, then you score a run for your team. If one of the fielders picks up that ball first, then you're out. Uh, so they have to locate it. How many fielders are there? Six. There's usually six fielders and there are a variety of formations and ways that the fielders can be arranged out in the field. Is that strategic per per team? Like they decide how many they're out of the six, how many are going to be far back, close up, or and, and is it dynamic, or, or are they constantly moving around? 
Yeah, it's definitely a subjective thing by team, how they position those players. And, uh, you know, certainly when a ball is hit and it's trying to be fielded, there is a lot of action and running around. And obviously communication is huge so that you're not colliding uh, with your teammates, whatnot. Um, so, yeah, definitely a lot going on out in the field. So if a fielder is running towards the uh, ball, uh it, it, the the field themselves are, are making sound, so to to yeah. al- alert their uh, to another fielder that hey you know I I've got this you know exactly back, and back yeah. off um, right and and so you've got uh, sighted pitcher sighted catcher six blind players out into the field um, and. Other than that, is it, uh, and so, so, okay, you successfully made it to first base because you, you outran the fielder. Right. Okay. Do you keep going? No, no. Once you do touch the base, you do have to make contact with that base. And then, so then the, the umpire would say, you know, that it's a run and, that would be a run for your team. And I, I should mention, if you hit the ball at least 170 feet, then okay. it's actually a home run, Okay. which collects two runs for your team. So that's, that's, um, so how does third base get involved? Uh, so basically, I mean, traditionally what they will do is if you hit the ball, let's say to the right side of the field toward first base, then they will sound off third base so then you'll have to run to third or vice versa if you hit the ball to the left side of the field then they'll sound off first base and you'll have to run to first okay to try to prevent you know potential collisions or so that the action on one side of the field is essentially kind of separate from you running to the base okay so you hit the ball and someone will will say uh greg run the third base not to first base. No. So the, the base is actually buzzing. It's making a, a constant buzz. So there's a someone that, that activates gotcha. that sound. Yep. So then you have to pay attention. And it's it's definitely common that a lot of people start running to the wrong base. Yeah. Like, oh crap, this <laughs> I need to go back. <laughs> and, and and at that point, uh, do you have to go back to uh to essentially home plate or or can you uh, triangulate your way to the to the correct base. Yeah, technically, I believe you do have to to go back, and you know if the the pitcher you know is probably going to be standing there and and potentially fielders. So to avoid all that, you would have to to turn back around and reverse your direction. Yep. Uh, so are these these games could they be high scoring games? Yeah, there've been a lot of them that you know are into the twenties, thirties in terms of runs. So. Some of these teams, when they get going, they just, they're raking like crazy. You know, they're scoring bunches of runs, five runs here, 10 runs there. Um, it's, uh, it, offense is definitely, you know, pretty, pretty common in these games. So, so, uh, how many innings are there? How's that work? Yeah. So a, a traditional game would be six innings, unless it is tied, then you would continue to play, you know, until you have a winner. Okay, and and how how is the, how is an out made? Oh, an out is made basically by if uh, when the fielder outruns you essentially to uh, to the ball. 
Exactly. Okay. Unless you do strike out. I mean, that strike out, I should have mentioned as well. Um, and so the, the NBBA has tinkered around with, you know, for a long time it was four strikes you would get, and then one year they tried three. I think they're back to four now. Um, and then you can get a pass ball. So essentially, if you don't want to swing, or a lot of times I will just take that, that first pitch, or maybe the, the last pitch until I have my final strike. Um, just to kind of hear the ball without having to swing at it, which is kind of a nice little, you know, gif, gif pitch, shall we say. Yeah, but it doesn't sound easy, uh, well, gif pitch or not. Um, uh, <laughs> there's, uh, we're, we're not in a vacuum, all right? The, right, you're outside, there's wind, there's could be weather. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. A lot of elements and, and factors. Yep. So most importantly, uh, well, thank you for that. That description, believe it or not, that's the first I've heard it described uh, with such detail. I've, I've uh, read paragraphs here and there on it, um, and uh, it, it, none of it did it justice. Um, and, uh, and, I, and I'm curious because I have the privilege of uh, it being on the uh, school board, the board of trustees for the Colorado School for Deaf and Blind. And uh, I'm going to have to, at my next board meeting, ask about that because I'm, I'm, I'm finding it exhilarating, um, you know, hearing you talk about it. But tell me, uh, 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 what do you love about this sport? Yeah, several things. Um, I would say the biggest thing that I love about it and have, you know, interviewed many beatball players and, and general athletes that get the, the chance to play a sport where you can really have some independence, you know, out, out, out on the field or court or whatnot. Um, I think independence is a big part of it. Being able to run to a base, uh, which is essentially a hundred feet, you know, without a guide, without a cane, without a guide dog, um, being able to dive for a ball in the field, you know, without somebody else. Uh, there are spotters too. I should have mentioned that there's a spotter at first and third that, that do give out, a, they'll yell out just one time a number of the fielder, uh, either one through, you know, one through six in that range, so that you do have some idea of kind of, you know, that it is coming toward you or kind of in your vicinity. Um, but just the independence of being able to score, being able to make outs, make plays, you know, be involved in athletic competition, uh, without, again, the need for those things that are so common in our lives on a day-to-day -day basis, I think is so, so incredibly powerful. And it's, it's such a unique environment that's just so different in so many ways from, like I said, our daily lives and kind of the, the, the daily challenges and struggles that we deal with. Uh, so that's definitely by far the number one thing I enjoy about it. Um, and just, you know, competition, competing against others, uh, you know, camaraderie of your teammates, meeting people, you know, there, there's so many benefits to being involved, especially in a team sport, uh, but really any sports in general. And uh, yeah, I think all of those reasons are, are just, you know, huge and speak volumes about why, I, you know, I myself and so many others are so passionate about uh, beat baseball. It's amazing how, how often independence comes up, uh, you know, for us all, you know, and in, 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 in the spirit of uh, how we started this conversation about community, um, 
I think that is is very high on on most of our lists. Um, and it's interesting because you you while you refer to this as an adaptive sport, it really is its own sport. Uh, you know, I mean, yes, okay. There's a concept of 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 baseball, and there's a pitcher and a batter and and such, but uh, everything else realistically is its own. It is its own sport. It doesn't even feel to me like an adaptive sport because it, it there's just so many things that are unique to itself. Uh, and that might be in semantics, but, uh, you know, we, 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 we sometimes talk about gold ball because gold ball is for blind people. You know, it, it is not an adaptive sport. It's not, uh, you know, and, and in many ways, and I find that, uh, you know, uh, in, incredible, but as I hear you describe baseball, it just, it, the baseball specifically is its own sport. True. True. Yeah. Like you said, it's, it's such a unique game, you know, and it is a sport that anyone can play. Even if you are fully sighted, if you have that blindfold on and, you know, you're not trying to peek through or <laughs> there have been cases of, you know, players that have at least some usable vision trying to, to look or position their blindfold in a certain way to be able to at least see something. Um, but if you do, you know, quote unquote, play by the rules, it is uh, accessible really to, to anyone that wants to try it as well. So you don't use the blackout goggles that they use in uh, goalball? Right. Yeah. So it's more of a kind of a soft, you know, blindfold, or I know they, I've heard the term mindfold, which might be a brand name uh, for, for beat baseball. Yeah, the uh, the mindfold. It's you know, I mean, the the they're it's 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 interesting because the mindfold has become kind of axiomatic. A lot of O and M uh, instructors use it uh, 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 and and such. But I think the general purpose of that was uh, so people could focus during meditation and and uh, and or just uh, in in the need to relax. Um, but uh, yeah, I, those uh, those the blackout goggles. John Altucusco had uh, shared a link, and I have them here at the house, and I do a great much of my training and and such wearing them uh, for a great many things. It's, it's it's interesting that they haven't used it for beat baseball. Maybe maybe eventually they'll get there. Um, uh, it, it certainly takes away any potential for cheating. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's a great piece of advice to any of the. You know the NBBA board members or beatball higher ups listening. Yeah, I mean there, there's an existing product that's that's used, and um, you know, uh, all right. But uh, so independence and uh, being part of a team. Um, are there other sports that you've done over the years? Yeah. So when I did have a little more vision, um, so I was on bowling leagues uh, for a long time, a good twenty years or so. Uh, starting at the age of, I think, seven, I joined my first league. And uh, so I've always enjoyed bowling. Um, the last couple years, I've kind of started get, getting back into bowling. So it was one of those sports that I kind of gave up. And having lost more vision, you know, several years, over the last several years, um, it just was not enjoyable to me and, and became more difficult. Um, but I have definitely embraced the guide rails and you know, some of the simple adaptations, having a spotter uh, when it comes to bowling uh, for the blind. And so about a year ago, I did compete in my first blind bowling tournament. 
um, in Daytona Beach, Florida, which was a ton of fun. And I will say, you know, it's even to this day, I'm still maybe getting a little adjusted, you know, not totally a hundred percent bought in yet. Um, just because I did bowl as a sighted individual for so long. Um, but I absolutely still enjoy the, the thrill of throwing the ball and, you know, getting that strike, uh, picking up that spare or whatnot. Um, and just kind of the reward that you get, uh, in, in those, those situations. What is blind bowling? Yeah. So it's basically kind of an, you know, an adapted form of bowling. Um, so there are these guide rails. I don't know if you've ever seen or felt one of those. So it's basically like a rail that is placed, um, between the ball return and the foul line. And then, so you just, you take your, your, either your left hand or right hand, depending on which one you use to throw the ball with. Um, using the other hand, you just guide yourself up to the foul line. Um, so then you, you know, you know that you're lined up and you're in the right position at the foul line to, to release the ball. Um, so that's, that's really the, the only adaptation you could say, uh, when it comes to bowling for the blind. So there's still gutters. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah so the, these guys really, they don't, they don't block the ball from going into the gutters. It just, it just, no. it just, it just keeps you, it's an alignment. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's 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 amazing. Did you have you? Um, I mean, baseball, v baseball. It's it's very active. Uh, obviously, running. Do you did you run train? Do you still run train? Uh, here and there. Honestly, I should do more of that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right. it's more so. Yeah, I'm definitely more of a sprinter, like running to a base. You know, a hundred feet versus versus longer running. Have you ever had any setbacks, injuries with it? Yeah. So I did uh, dislocate my shoulder actually earlier this year playing beat baseball um, in a tournament in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, so really that was my first major injury in, in athletics. Um, I did break my wrist in fifth grade falling off the monkey bars, uh, you know, 25 years ago, 26 years ago now, whatever that is. But um, so it's really been a long time, you know, since I've had any kind of major injury where I've had to, you know, wear a sling and, and do rehab and work with a physical therapist. And, um, it's been quite a journey and, uh, you know, definitely has tested my patience in a lot of ways. And there have been days where I thought, you know what, I don't know if I want to get back out there on the beat baseball field. Um, still have not yet, but, uh, I, at this point I, I pretty much made up my mind that I do, you know, I, I don't want to let this hinder me just one, one experience because I know a lot of individuals, um, in terms of athletes go through far, you know, far worse injuries and have dealt with far more and yet still get back up and are just as successful as they were before. Um, but it absolutely has kind of, you know, given me thoughts that I never had before, you know, kind of the negative thinking towards sports and kind of the, the worry and the anxiety, you know, once I do get back out there, um, but in my heart, you know, like I said, I definitely do not want this to hold me back from playing and competing in a sport that I love so much. And, and so the, those, those negative thoughts that you had, how did you cope with that? Yeah, I would say talking to other beatball players. Um, I have connected with a few actually that have had the same injury, the the shoulder dislocation. 
and uh, just hearing their stories of how they were able to to bounce back and kind of what it took and, and kind of overcoming that you know those fears that are destined to come you know once you are back out there and um also just you know learning some other strategies on uh, on sliding on you know especially when you when you hit that base in beat baseball um it's so common that people fall over you know they they fall down and so many things can happen you know when you when you fall when you hit the ground um, our bodies are so vulnerable to, to injury, unfortunately. Um, so that is something I do want to work on just in terms of, you know, safely falling and uh, potentially even wearing, you know, elbow pads, shoulder pads, uh, more protection, um, things I didn't necessarily think of, you know, before, before this did happen. Yeah. So what advice would you give uh, a, a newcomer into the sport? Uh, you know, when you inform them that these injuries are quite common. In other words, if you could tell your, your say, 25-year-old self, uh, 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 you know, or just the, the, the version of you that was new to the sport, what would you say now that you've had this experience? Yeah, I would say, you know, just maybe be a little more thoughtful, be a little more considerate and accounting for potential risk potential injury um just realize that it is certainly a possibility you know in, in any kind of sport let's face it um, we can injure ourselves you know from minor to to something very serious and um i guess you know i really didn't have those thoughts like i said you know before this happened uh, quite as much in my mind um, but I, w I would also tell that self, you know, if something were to happen, um, don't let it get you down, you know, keep, keep moving, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, um, and keep moving because, you know, there's no sense in, in not pursuing your passions and enjoying what you love to do. Um, even though there might be some hiccups along the way that kind of hinder your ability, you know, at least temporarily to do those things. Yeah, that's that's probably great advice and great a great metaphor for uh, a great many things. Um, you know, uh, it, it's and those setbacks, and I think in in sport in general, uh, I you know it's just it, nobody is immune to that. Uh, and there's just the, the, there's more things that can go wrong that can than can go right. Um, and true and. Uh, really learning how to uh uh to deal with that and uh because that, that that can be dark um I, as you know uh it's something that i've always called uh the blindness world i've always called it the the, the plus one factor <laughs> in other words we, we get all the normal stuff that every human being goes through plus this. And I think anybody with a disability can relate to that. Uh, sometimes it's plus two, plus three. And, you know, it, I think that's, it, that is also subjective. However, our, our sports and you, you know, you equated it earlier to independence. Uh, when our independence it leaves us um, and uh, we're faced with a, a, a very vulnerable feeling that sometimes uh, could feel all too familiar. And, and, uh, you know, our, our sport, our, our activity, our passions, 
um, that's our, that's our escape. And, and, you know, you, you sharing the story is very important, I think, for us all to reflect on and, uh, and congratulations for, 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 for moving past it. Uh, well, I think we'll all look forward to, to hearing about your first game back and, and, uh, and how that, how that goes. Speaking of passions, uh, you know, uh, as is most most of us in the blind community, uh, we're not necessarily singular minded. Uh, a lot of us have other interests uh, that have uh, sometimes little to do with our sports and, uh, and something that you and I both have in common, but we've never talked about it, is music. Um, and uh, what, what's what's music for you? Yeah, so I should mention that I did take uh, piano lessons as a youngster. Um, I think I was around, you know, kind of that six or seven age, kind of when I started bowling. I remember, I remember my, my brother and I both started bowling and, uh, you know, taking piano lessons around the same time in our lives. And uh, so I did that for a good six or seven years and then got the chance to perform in some recitals. And um, at the time, I, I was pretty much able to read you know, music notation uh, with with magnification. Um, so really can't speak a whole lot about, you know, kind of the accessibility of when it comes to, to performing as a pianist. Um, but kind of got to the point of, say, middle school, where I thought, oh, this, this isn't cool anymore. You know, I don't want to do this, which looking back, you know, definitely kicking myself that I didn't continue and really did enjoy, you know, just playing. I remember like blues music and jazzy kind of music and that upbeat, you know, tempo and, and melody and rhythm and really just embrace that, that genre and, and getting to perform and, and play that. Um, and was, was really out of music, was not really involved in anything for a good, about 15 years, um, until I did receive as a gift, a Christmas gift from my parents. I got an acoustic guitar, a Fender guitar, and uh, had talked about for a while, you know, wanting to learn to play guitar and just thought it was a super cool instrument that was, you know, pretty versatile. You could play almost anything on guitar. Um, so got that gift uh, for Christmas and started taking lessons about a year, maybe six months, a year or so after getting the guitar. And uh, so I did take lessons uh, for a couple years at a local uh, music store here in the Tampa area, here in Florida. Um, also took voice lessons a couple years after that, and uh, so have just really embraced, uh, you know, guitar playing and singing, and um, I have done a handful of gigs here and there, you know, nothing steady, and certainly COVID kind of took a toll on the in-person gigs and whatnot. Um, but I actually just performed the other day at, uh, believe it or not, it's, it's called uh, Rock the Barriers. And so it's basically an adaptive sports event for people with all disabilities, uh, but they also have performers, uh, artists, all types of artists, uh, you know, with the opportunity to, to perform. And so I got to do a set of, you know, just six songs at that particular event. Um, but that was really kind of the first time I had performed, you know, for an event kind of in the, the disability community. Um, I have done some things on Zoom through ACB, and uh, which has been a lot of fun. But as far as in person, 
uh, this was the first time you know I really got that opportunity. That's uh, fantastic. So it was just you and a guitar. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, I, I'm a longtime guitarist uh, myself, and uh, uh, the idea of of uh, and I've, I've been trying to figure out how to sing and play at the same time, but uh, uh, it's that that's a work in progress. Um, I, I very much enjoy collaborating with other blind musicians around the world, but uh, you know I'm still, as you could tell by being technically challenged. I, I think I've got every piece of gear you could possibly think of, and uh, I have some. There's some spectacular people out there in the world uh, that are that are doing extraordinary things. Um, in music recording, um, uh, Byron Hardin from um, IC Music, uh, based out of the Chicago area, uh, has has proven that he can teach um, completely blind people to be basically recording producers, engineers, and and make a living doing it. It's uh, it's it's actually pretty spectacular. It, you know, it never ceases to amaze me. Uh, where people can go with that. Uh, I have another good friend, Steve Baskis, uh, another blind musician, but who's, I think he's been at Berkeley learning how to, uh, to do work in the, in the audio industry. Um, and there's just, there's, there's so much there. And I, I mean, to me, the fact that you could grab a guitar and just start performing like that uh, is incredible. And um and it's 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 also fascinating because here you are, you know, hundred episodes in, and how many of these people, how many of us knew that you had this idea? Uh, it's this <laughs> is uh, it's 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 kind of kind of amazing. Um, uh, you mentioned uh, blues and jazz and all that. Do you have a favorite uh, composer uh, performer? Uh, honestly, and in, in that particular genre, not really, um, you know, that was kind of my, my old school piano days, you know, as a child, um, now I really enjoy, you know, playing covers of, of a lot of pop artists, uh, you know, anyone from Ricky Nelson to, to Jimmy Buffett to Brian Adams, Tom Petty, um, even some of the newer stuff, Panic at the Disco, Maroon 5. Um, so really, yeah, more so kind of the, the pop genre that I've really embraced as a guitarist. Awesome. So what six songs did you do at, uh, at uh, Rock the Barriers? Was that what it was called? Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, let's see if I can remember off the top of my head uh, at least a few of them. So I did uh, Margaritaville, you know, as a tribute sure. to, to Jimmy, who we recently lost. Uh, running down a dream uh, tom petty and the heartbreakers which i feel like is kind of a you know the metaphor there in terms of the disability community i thought made a lot of sense um also high hopes you know newer song from panic at the disco Uh, again just kind of that positive message and you know striving to be our best Uh, let's see some ccr i did uh bad moon rising which you know kind of that that florida theme uh, mentioning the the hurricanes and and whatnot (laughs) i'm trying to think what else oh yeah i did do uh hard day's night from the beatles definitely one of my favorite songs to play just very upbeat and uh kind of high high energy uh yeah those are the ones i can think of uh fun i mean that's that's uh, upbeat that's not an easy one to 
uh, to do. I mean, <laughs> if you ever, anybody's ever heard Paul McCartney doing it, I mean, he just belts that out. Uh, oh yeah. It's, yep. uh, it's, uh, you know, you're, you're a soft spoken, uh, person. I mean, you've got that, that, that incredible <laughs> voice. It's, it's soothing. Uh, and I'm, I'm trying to, you know, picture it. I almost want to grab a guitar right now and jam with you. Maybe they'll have to do that in another, <laughs> another, another episode. Um, it would be fun. Yeah. So, uh, so that's performing music. Um, are, are you doing anything else with recording or? Uh, I did want to mention, uh, so I did attend this, it was called the Song Site Music Mentoring Retreat uh, last year. And that was put on by Scott McIntyre, who some of our listeners might know. Um, so he's a legally blind artist who was on American Idol in 2009 and uh, finished in the top 10. Uh, so he presented uh, for the first time this program out in uh, the Phoenix, Arizona area last, last fall. And uh, so it was, there were seven of us blind and visually impaired uh, artists who got together and... Uh, so it was quite a quite a unique experience, very very empowering, and uh, to kind of top off the event, we got to record uh, this song called "Let the Light In," uh, which is on YouTube. If you just search for "Song Sight," S O N G S I G H T, and "Let the Light In," um, so that was really the first time I kind of delved into the whole world of recording and production and. Um, he actually had, you know, producers there and people working on, you know, the recording. And it obviously took several weeks to to kind of put the finishing touches on it and, and put it all together. And um, But it was such a cool experience and really kind of got my juices flowing to, to want to be able to record my own stuff, you know, write my own stuff. Um, yeah, it was such a such a positive experience. Uh, that's, that's, that's amazing. Uh, did you follow, you know, during, uh, the pandemic, uh, the foundation fighting blindness, uh, uh, did, uh, this, uh, music to our eyes and, uh, they, they featured lots of, uh, great artists, but several, uh, with the theme, uh, of, uh, these, these people were, uh, you know, everywhere from, uh, Grace Potter, who's legally blind to, um, gosh, uh, I'm drawing a blank on a couple of their names, but there's a, a, a couple more, um, um, gosh, the ex ambassadors, uh, one oh, of that's the, right. I yeah. forget his name, but yeah, yeah I he, he's, the he's spectacular. I mean, he's a keyboardist and a, a songwriter and, uh, but they performed and, and, and did it. And then, uh, this gentleman from Boston and I, I'm embarrassed that I can't think of his name right now. Uh, incredible musician, guitarist. Um, but he, he performed a half dozen or so songs. Um, and, uh, uh, he has RP and, uh, you know, it's, it, no, it, you know, never ceases to amaze me on what you, you're uncover. But the, the reason we can uncover is because people like yourself are putting yourself out there and, and building a community. And, um, and, you know, we're, we're fortunate, uh, to, you know, to have one another, but it really does take people like yourself, Greg, to put yourself out there in the manner that you have. And, um, I think sometimes we take it for granted, uh, that, that these things just sort of happen in our lives. Uh, but it really does take somebody, uh, and, and you know we hear it all the time. It's it's becoming 
sort of the axiom that you don't have to have sight to have vision. And, uh, you know, you are, are, are a perfect example of that. And uh, I think that all of us who had the privilege to either uh, being a guest on your podcast and your, as well as your listeners. And then of course uh, the next 100 uh, listeners and hopefully, um, you know, some, some of our younger people are going to get inspired to try B baseball, um, you know, something in music, who knows where they're going to go, but uh, it's, it's, it's incredible. And um, you know, all of this is a testimony to your, uh, your dedication and, uh, that, that you've really given us. And, you know, the, the pandemic was, you know, it's come up a couple of times was, you know, a very isolating experience for, for us. I mean, people who think that they were isolated by it, but then, you know, try not being able to drive a car or be one of the, you know, tens of thousands of people that went out and bought camper vans and decided to get creative. But when you can't do those things, you had to find other ways to do it. And, um, and, you know, you're an example, uh, granted you started this prior to that, but, uh, what, what fantastic time you said it was 2019. Was it when you, it was, uh, you did your first. Yeah. So I recorded my first episode in November of 19 and then released that, that following month in December of 2019. Yeah. Okay. Three months later, there was a shutdown. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty amazing. And so I, you know, uh, but, you know, I obviously want to thank you again and again. Um, is there anything else though you want to share? This is, this is kind of, this is your moment. Hopefully there'll be, there'll be other moments like this, but at least this is the, the, the first opportunity in a hundred episodes that we get to know, uh, the, the host and creator of, uh, eyes free sports. And, uh, and, you know, I'm sure we only, you know, you know, just touch the surface, but is there anything else you'd like to, to share? Yeah, I definitely wanted to mention uh, a few individuals. Uh, so Jamie Pauls from Missouri has been uh, my editor for this, the entire hundred episodes I've done this podcast and extremely appreciative of his support and reliability. And uh, he also happens to be blind. So really, you know, when I kind of learned about this connection and we connected, uh, it was a no brainer that I would, you know, support a fellow blind kind of content creator and an editor and whatnot on this journey. So I'm super grateful to Jamie on, on all of his support. And then Andre Louie, another blind musician, um, actually provides the, the music, uh, for this podcast, uh, the intro and outro music. Um, so just, um, you know, so, so excited and thrilled that, uh, you know, three three blind individuals kind of have their fingerprints all over this podcast, so to speak, and uh, really could not have done this without their support. I'd like to meet them. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, again, just wanted to, to thank you, Michael, for reaching out and presenting me with this idea. Um, like we chatted about the other day, I, I try to make this podcast about my guests and Obviously, I want to give those I interview a platform to be able to tell their stories. Um, but like you said, you know, I'm sure you're not the only one that is kind of curious about Greg Lindbergh and who is this guy that's asking all the questions, you know, let's get to, to know him. So it's certainly been an honor to reconnect with you and 
have you do the honors of, of kind of, you know, getting to allow me to share my story. Yeah, well, the privilege the privilege is mine on that, and uh, you know you have a, a, a unique ability on a lot of a lot of levels, and uh, you know once you, you you could take this for what it's worth, but I think a lot of us uh, would forget uh, that you're one of us uh, when you interview. You really don't talk about yourself. You you really do give that platform and uh, and let people uh, be themselves. You know, there's 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 a little bit of a flip side to it though, is, is that I, I even found myself during our, our interview, our original, that I, I, here's a gentleman with LCA. Uh, you know, he's living, he's living his best life and he's, uh, but, but it isn't just some, you know, a lot of us, I think in, you know, I've been in, had the opportunity and the privilege to be in the media many times. You're the only blind person who has interviewed me it's always been wow uh yeah and and this is listen uh this you know and forgive me i mean this 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 phrase has, has come up a lot over the last few years um and the phrase is inspiration porn <laughs> uh and <laughs> and uh, where we're kind of filling content and I, I think it's great i mean that, that that people have that interest and 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 i think people need to be inspired but but you're taking this to a, to another level um, because we're all one of the same here, uh, you know, uh, you know, sharing our, our, our individual stories, but we are a community and it, it, this is just a remarkable opportunity, I think, for, for a great many of us. But it really takes someone like yourself to, to make this happen. And I, but I think it's important that, that your listeners and everybody knows that you, in fact, are blind and are, are uh, you know, this is not about uh, inspiration uh, porn. This is whatever, whatever you want it to be. And, and it's, it's, it's kind of incredible uh, uh, and, and extremely unique. And I think that um, many of us who've had the privilege to be able to participate along with you, it's, uh, would, would say that we're very grateful. So uh, take that for what it's worth. Sure. Thank you. I definitely appreciate those words, Michael. And, you know, it's been a privilege to be able to do this and hope to continue to do it for a while. And like you said, to to be able to kind of relate to the guests I have on, you know, not all necessarily directly, or maybe I can relate more to some than others, but um, kind of showcasing the blind community that I am a part of is, has just been so rewarding. Yeah. Well, thank you again and again. And uh, congratulations on a on hundred episodes, and uh, here's to the next one hundred. Awesome! Alrighty, thanks so much, Michael. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, the pleasure is mine. Believe me. Take care. Thank you. To hear more episodes of the Eyes Free Sports podcast and to subscribe, search for Eyes Free Sports on your favorite podcast platform, or visit eyesfreesports.com. Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebook.com slash eyesfreesports and on Twitter at eyesfreesports.